This is The Lonely Office, your playbook for navigating the messy line between work and life. Our topics are sourced from real, anonymous workplace conversations happening within Glassdoor communities, from how to not get fired to negotiating severance. We discuss timely work-life issues so you don't have to brave that professional world alone. I wanted to tell you a story about Bill. What do we got? Bill actually made a post on Fishbowl. He says, does anybody struggle to make work friends when they start a new job remotely? He's lonely. He's really lonely. He really just focuses on his work. His boss says, hey, listen, would you mind just socializing a little bit more or bringing more of yourself to work? There's this opportunity that presents itself every quarter, especially now within the remote space in the lonely office, you have these on-site mandatory parties, get-togethers, they bring a DJ in, right? You get to be physically human again. Absolutely. And what he decides to do is, at this party, he's going to take his boss's advice, he's going to take the advice from people that he's gotten on Fishbowl, and he's going to go, and he's going to bring his full self to this party. (laughs) Here's the problem, though. He has one too many drinks He did the karaoke, and he was doing Dio Rainbow in the Dark over and over. And people were like, holy crap, Bill, are you serious? One lady in particular, Bill, said, hey, you look a lot thinner on Zoom than when I see you in person. (laughs) Long story short, weekend ends, Bill gets a remote call with HR and his boss, and they have to have a conversation where they say, listen... (laughs) We're so glad you really brought it to this party, but you also got to be mindful of how you interact with people. Bill's thinking, what are you talking about? You told me to bring my true self. (laughs) I'm singing Dio and I'm asking the questions. What does someone like Bill do when we're asked to bring our true selves to work? First thing, on behalf of all 30 million remote (laughs) workers, I included, I feel for you, Bill. Love you, Bill. Seriously, I think we're all lost in this. You call it a vortex. I think this is the vortex where we're working. Our barometers that we have internally of like what's acceptable social behavior has just completely been warped because of the lack of social interaction we have in our typical nine to five. And here's Bill acting on his manager's advice to bring himself to work. And you look a lot thinner on Zoom. He made a mistake. I recall my first... (laughs) on-site quarterly. And the first thing I was told, oh, you look a lot taller than in person. And I kind of took that neutrally. You weren't insulted? I was a little annoyed. Really? After, like, man, what's wrong with my camera setup and my angle setup that makes me look like a weak manager or a weak CEO? Like, I'm like, <laughs> is, is the camera pointing down in the wrong direction? And I actually had to reevaluate my whole setup. Really? Can I ask you how tall you are? Do you mind? Did I tap into something I yeah, shouldn't have yeah, tapped into? Yeah, yeah, a little, Napoleon complex. I believe I'm 6'0". <laughs> my wife calls it 5'11 and a half. That's a great height. I think it's a great height. I think it's a great height. I'm 5'8 and a half. There you go. Again, on behalf of all 30 million, I think that was the latest from the U.S. Census Bureau, 30 million remote working professionals of one form or another. I'm right there with you, Bill, and I, I'm as lost as you are with this thing. Frankly, though, from the rumors that came from this party, by the way, Bill is the headline. Like, this guy, Bill, never hear from this guy ever. And then he's showing up. 
everybody has a different way of contributing to a company when they bring themselves. And sometimes some people censor or hold back some parts of their personality because they think it could be not beneficial when they go to work, right? right? Or maybe they accentuate certain parts where they think it could be beneficial. I empathize with Bill in the sense that he really did try, but he also really stumbled. I mean, he really put his foot in his mouth. To the point where HR is like, hey, listen, you're not fired, but we got to have a conversation with you. Another post that came up on Fishbowl here and asks, do you have a different personality at work or are you the same in both your personal and professional life? I'm going to ask you point Blake for you. What is your personality like when you come to work? Are you the same person or are you totally different? I think the sub layer to this topic, which is there's long been a tradition of bringing yourself to work and, you know, what do you share? What do you not share? There was a time we all remember and can recall not so long ago where we could have our work cubes and personalize them with portraits of our family and banners of our favorite sports teams and old types of memorabilia where it kind of does the work for you. It does the job for you. Like, come on in and, oh, well, I didn't realize you have a connection to this sports team or this city, or I didn't realize you had a four-year-old daughter. That's out the window now, unless you're literally, you know, have a portrait as a Zoom banner behind you sitting in every call, right? Like that's not happening. And so this is in many ways like a, it's an old problem just reemerged, which is we've always had this question of how much of ourselves to bring to work in a physical scenario where you have these accoutrements and cubes and physicality to represent it. It's easier. And now in this digital version, it's incredibly hard. And so the question reemerges is, hey, what's appropriate and how do you do it? So I think in terms of what's appropriate and whether to answer your question back to what you were saying, do I bring my real self to work? I think I bring my real personality. I think I bring my unfiltered opinions. I'll caveat that by saying I'm the entrepreneur who may have an unsaid set of rules that he can abide by. But for whatever reason, either because of my setup or where I am, I do feel comfortable bringing my real personality to work bring my unfiltered opinions to work. But do I bring all of me to work? That's a good question. I think there's elements of my family. I'm a pretty private, protective guy when it comes to my family. I'm not broadcasting, emitting images of my twin sons on social media or stuff like that. And so if I answer that honestly, probably not. Probably not 360 version. But I'm very comfortable being unfiltered saying what I want to say. So you don't bring your full self. I don't know who does bring them their full right. selves to work. I know some folks who do. Really? If you're one of these extroverted social media outlandish CEOs willingly sharing pictures of your family and everything else out to the public that I'm sure you're doing the same thing with your employees. So there's a comment on the post that I just read you. It says, if you care about work, i.e. how you're perceived by peers, project successes, climbing the ladder, then you're not the same personality in your personal life. If you don't care as much, then you're likely the same personality in real life. You don't feel the need to change who you are to fit into something that you don't care about. I think that's simplistic. I would argue socially, there's a trend towards desired authenticity. You could have a brand that's the authentic brand, the change agent in a company, and you, oh, I don't want to go as far as say a bulldog in a china shop. Maybe there's some boundaries you don't cross over in terms of disrespect, but you're just putting a lot of yourself out there. But how much of that is performative? Even when you say there's a brand or what your brand is, to me, that signifies that there is some sort of a methodology behind it. There's an editorializing of it. Right. I think the premise of bringing your full self 
is a false premise to begin with. Check me on this and tell me if I'm wrong here. But this idea, even Bill's boss saying, well, I think you should bring, I think what she's maybe trying to say, instead of saying, bring in your full self, she's just saying, maybe engage more on a social level. But the problem is, we saw what happened to Bill. He did, and it got screwed up. And also, some people's lives, their full selves, they don't want to have that part at work because maybe exposed. Yeah. There might be some things that they do in their private lives. I don't know if any of the shows that we've talked about this will get released, but remember there were people, managers who found they had employees who had like OnlyFans accounts, right? Bringing your full self to me, it doesn't seem to jive in the corporate space. It feels performed and not real. Like you're a very real guy. You got a microphone on a stack of books right now (laughs) because you're traveling, doing a TED talk. We're not recording video for this. You're in the Midwest. You forgot your mic stand. You got a stack of books. That's as real as it gets. Like you're not performing, right? Okay. I see where you're going with this. So yeah, I guess putting on my operator's hat again. Sorry to do that. (laughs) The first 50, maybe even hundred employees, if you're really social manager, social CEO, you get to know your employees really well. And I think on this topic of authentic brand and like who you are. You could be a CEO of a company or a president or operator and really have a knowledge of who's working for you and who you're working with, where you can be truly authentic and not overly curated. At a small enough company, you get to know people well enough where they, they'll give you permission, like th- they'll fall over themselves backwards, to give you the benefit of the doubt, right? So if I'm a CEO and I'm trying to bring myself to work and I, in the process of doing that, I step over some toes. The employees will give you the benefit of the doubt. They know who you are. But at some stage, you lose that. I don't know if that stage is 100 employees or 500 employees, but at some stage, you lose that. And all of a sudden, you get tasked with like curation and a comms team coming in and editorializing everything you're saying. And I think in that case, what you end up getting is a produced authenticity. And that's what I'm getting at. Like any comms team at most companies these days, they have authenticity on their mind. For them, it's like a curated version of authenticity. Can we cut you up in a way where you look really authentic and you sound really authentic? But the question is, are you really speaking your own, your mind here or are you not? I think a lot of CEOs struggle with that. So for the listener here to kind of try to put something visual with words, no matter what you do in your job, I think it would be appropriate to say that we bring an editorialized version of ourselves to work. And now it makes it more challenging when you work remotely. We're doing an interview. Your daughter's right there. That's part of your life. You're not going to editorialize your kid on another level. Once you climb that ladder, whether from an entrepreneurial standpoint or even in the corporate lens, the more influence and the more people you manage and the higher profile you have, now there becomes an even deeper editorial lens where you have a team in which even if you have this authentic part of yourself that you bring that is your superpower you still have to be careful with it, and it still has to be shaped. In a world of cancel culture, how do people navigate this? Because Bill almost lost his job. For the better part of my 15 years, every single company I've started, I've asked people to join me in a mission where in order for them to agree to sign up for this impossible mission where you're building something from scratch and they're making one-third the salary they otherwise would make, they get to know you really personally. And you share almost near 100% with these first 10, 50 folks. At some point, though, I also recognize that that's not scalable. As you grow the company and you grow the human labor, the human capital, you are trying to maintain culture, which is an element of you and what you bring. But you're also, by definition, framing and projecting, and you might have a team that helps you do some of that. I kind of struggle with that question because I kind of want to answer it both ways. Depending on the stage of the tribe, if it's pretty early, 
yeah, it's like near 100% transparency, right? That's how you get them to toe the line with you. But once the tribe grows beyond your ability to be present in a distributed way across all of the all employees, then you're bringing this curation, this editorialization, and then comms and all this other stuff. Why is that authenticity hard to scale? It's the diversity of opinions that a diversity of employees bring in, right? That's one reason why a lot of companies are opting out of politics altogether in their organizations. We can almost go on a whole separate topic on this, but the idea of the corporation as its own tribe, there's been plenty of studies, the Edelman Trust Barometer, which we've talked about before on the show, year after year, interestingly enough, the last two or three years have shown that global citizens are, for some one reason or another, actually having instilling more confidence in CEOs and business figures than other industries, NGOs, governments. And I almost feel that that's kind of a good thing and a bad thing, meaning there's this idealization of sorts of like what the boss should be. Okay, here's my tribe. I'm opting into this job and I want the CEO or the boss to be fully conformed to all the morality or opinions that I have. And I think this is where cancel culture comes in, honestly. And and the reality is, is like, that's unachievable. And I don't think it's healthy. I don't think a leader is one who's successful because he, he or she conforms with your ideas. I don't. I think a leader is one who's successful because, in fact, they can empathize with your ideas, maybe even represent it if it serves the business, but doesn't have to conform. And I think where we trip ourselves up in a lot of the, the news cases I've seen with like CEOs gone awry or employees kind of holding CEOs to the stake is because we're trying to conform and it doesn't really make sense in a, an economy driven by business principles, namely one that's capitalism. Is it too simplistic to say more people, more problems? Almost like a governing standpoint. You have more constituents, absolutely, right? It's harder. A smaller country is easier. I mean, even like a county where I'm at right now, it's like we have a great small, it's like a 40,000 people. It seems easier to govern when you have a smaller group of people. But it also seems to what you're saying, impact how a person who founded, co-founded, or was part of that original tribe can be truly themselves if they choose to scale. Yeah, it's difficult. It's interesting with... When Elon Musk took over Twitter, the first thing he did was try to reestablish the culture around this idea of hardcore work. You could be like, oh, that was just like a, a tweet. No, I actually believe it was something bigger, cultural. He was trying to instill maybe pride in product again. And I'm not giving judgment on whether it was a good strategy or bad strategy, but I do think it was a cultural strategy as much as it was just a tweet. You think it's something he believes in, like he personally believes yeah, in? Yeah, like he believes in, hey, you know, your worth as an individual is the quality of the creations that you put out into the universe. And, you know, Twitter, if you're a Twitter engineer, I want you to be like on board with hardcore work. But I would argue that I think the transactional aspects of our jobs, this remote work has been created for that. Like we're super hyper efficient with the transactional aspects of our jobs. I think our ability to calendar meetings and send off email updates and fill out timesheets or whatever it is, we have far more time for that because we killed the commute. And we're very effective when it comes to transactional part of our jobs. There's certain times in this pandemic, the productivity as measured on a labor force basis has been increasing in many ways, depending on how it's measured. There was a response to Bill's post when he said, hey, does anyone else struggle to make friends at work? <laughs> sort of iconic post that he made before everything went to hell when he went to that work party. Someone responded and said, referencing the remote workspace, I try to be on camera as much as possible, add personal commentary whenever it makes sense, and don't seem to have an issue getting friendly with people. Kind of like what the poster alluded to. I don't usually get close to anyone. Just surface level banter with a little bit of me sprinkled in to help build trust and rapport. 
You never know who you might want in your corner someday. And as such, I don't look at any interaction as a transaction. Plus, it makes the day go by faster. Do you relate with anything that this poster is saying? And in fact, he's saying, okay, I don't want it to be a transaction. But what's interesting is the whole methodology he's using seems very transactional. It feels very transactional. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, let's jump on a Zoom meeting. Here's my game plan. That's my game plan. Everything in our communication or like the syntax of the way we talk now, the Slack or messages, the Microsoft Teams messages we're sending, it all feels transactional. I think he's doing something clever in this case. I don't know if it's a he or she, but they're saying that within the transaction, carve out time up top to take a beat and just catch up on the weekend. I guess I identify with this is we have a version of a daily standup. The daily standup is exactly what you think it is. You don't stand up. You get on a Zoom call. You're sitting down, but you get on a Zoom call. And in a 30-minute time span, everybody kind of gives really quickly what they're working on that day. And the way we use it is, I think it's most valuable on Mondays and Fridays, the bookends of the weekday. And it's because I use 15 minutes of this daily standup on each of those days to 20 minutes. Just like, what do people do that weekend? trying to replace that physical hallway conversation that you would have had. And yeah, I'm I'm like probing and I'm like the funny, not so funny manager who's like sniffing around at people's weekends and it's kind of dopey. But I think employees, they get it and they allow it. And when it results in a few gems where it's like, wait, where did you go? You went to like the Elvis Museum. It results in connections again and people remember like, oh, that's what this is about. That's an example of what this poster is talking about, you know, sneaking in the social and the relationship within the transaction. Isn't that just hearkening back to something, though, that maybe we'll never get back again? Because if they were in person, most of these things happen organically. Like you're at the coffee pot and you're having a conversation. You're at the water cooler. That's the whole water cooler trope. And no one has to schedule like, yeah, meet me at 2.15 at the water cooler, maybe. But it just naturally happens. Is this something like a lost world that we're just kind of hearkening back to when we try to artificially create and curate these moments of levity and authenticity in stand-up meetings or even in remote conversations when it comes to work that we can never get back to again? I think elements, yes. The idea of a physical water cooler at work, to what degree that even existed. So let's replace that for a second. Let's call it the Keurig machine at work, right? For a second. (laughs) I feel that belongs at this point for us, I guess the 30 million of us who are doing fully remote or hybrid that belongs in some exhibition from a future museum piece on like the bygone era of the desk worker, right? It's gone. And I think there's elements that aren't coming back. And that's what I find clever about some of these posts on Fishbowl where people are like, they're acclimating. We might have quarterly parties or events, offsites, but the daily element isn't coming back, right? And you got to acclimate and you got to find fill-ins. And my version of that is the standup, which I'm convinced probably 30% of my employees hate it. <laughs> Why is it worth it though? Well, it's worth it because it's 30 minutes, right? And I think those moments of connection and conversation that are created, that's why it's worth it. And that's why you need a version of that or versions of that in your daily work routine. Even if it's diluted, because it's not the same organic sort of carbonation that you feel when you strike up a conversation at a coffee shop with someone else in the workspace that you're at. There's going to be people maybe like me who are resistant. Maybe I put a fake face up on the remote call. Maybe (laughs) like Jim saying, like, I just have clown makeup on and inside I'm crying. But what I think relates to everything that we started with with Bill is this idea of making the earnest attempt to still extract authentic connection, no matter how we do it, that matters. I came across some new tech platforms that are trying to do this, versions of this. One of these platforms, literally what it does is it takes your persona, your static JPEG PNG image of your face, 
and it plants it on a two-dimensional avatarish desk. And it's a two-dimensional second life, a two-dimensional virtual space with desks and offices. And the whole value prop here is to, to precipitate some of the magic from our old fishbowls or old workspaces in this virtual form. I kind of find it laughable because it's such a clumsy attempt to try to do that. Do you see any opportunity in this remote space as it continues to evolve? I may not like the socializing part of work, me personally, but I'm not everybody else. I recall my social life in New York City when I was 24 years old was defined by my work colleagues at MTV. And absent of that, I'm not saying I didn't have any uh, relationship outside of work, but that was like a foundation. And that's just been stripped. That narrative has, is gone for a whole slew of 22, 23, 24-something grads coming out of college. They just don't have that base anymore to operate off of. As a transplant from Chicago to New York, I had a healthy base of friends from high school. I had a healthy base of friends from college. But that all got replaced, made secondary to the friendships and relationships that then got spawned in New York City when I was there for 15 years. And I really wonder now, in a scenario where we have 30 million remote working knowledge professionals, there's probably a trend towards reprioritizing maybe the the high school, the college network, because you don't have the new network. And I don't know what the implications of that are. I know there's this concept of bridging versus bonding. I know this because fishbowls are social networks. So we have to know some level of understanding around human relationship sociology to get at work. And so the bridging relationship is one where you don't know that third party, but you're you're bridging. You're kind of extending yourself to get to know that third party, whereas the bonding is a reinforcement. You know that party and you're just getting to know them better. Most relationships can be defined within this prism of, is it bonding or bridging? The bridging one being, many ways, the more networking-oriented one that can yield positive referrals for a job applicant or a job seeker if, if you're a professional. And I'd imagine if you're losing out on creating new relationships as a, a young adult and starting a new Rolodex, you're losing a lot on the bridging types of nodes and relationships that are going to impact your ability to network and Rolodex. And instead, you're going to be building bonding, more deeper bonding relationships with your high school network and your college network, which could be beneficial. But yeah, studies have shown the bridging ones tend to be more beneficial for referral purposes. So there's a few more peaks and valleys I want to go through here before we wrap up. There was a couple of things that came to mind, and I didn't want to end the conversation without asking you. We've talked about bringing an authentic self, let's say from your perspective as an operator, as an entrepreneur, and then having the latitude, the ability to do that when it's a smaller group of people. Is that a contributing factor, you think, for some enterprises, some entrepreneurs to say, hey, I'm just going to keep it small. I'm willing to do that to ensure that I can bring my authentic self. I have a good number of colleagues of mine who had VCs banging down the door trying to get in and convince them to take on investment because they had a compelling business model in a big market. And they're like, nah, we got wow. it good here right now. We're 50 people. The margins are extraordinary. They're like 50, 60% margins. Why do you have to always be growing to be satisfied in life? Nobody forces you to take on investment. I think there's the presumption if you're building a business, you have to grow. Yeah, if you're a public company, that's true. Absolutely, because that's how your stock price, your shareholders reward you via your, your stock price. But if you're a private company, that's completely up to you. And there's plenty of private folks who are like, no, I'm comfortable with my 2%, 3% market share with some crazy margins I have and just growing organically half a percent a year. I, those are the people who they don't want to get big and lose maybe some of that 
authenticity, ownership that they have over the enterprise that they're building. I know for me, I haven't had the same conversations, the depth, and I think ones that you've faced in terms of the kind of growth and what you've done. But as a relatively new, let's say five years entrepreneur who's gone out now on my own, and I even asked myself, you know, when I'm laying in bed at night, just kind of what if, what if, you know, we double in revenue next year? What if this happens? And I've said to myself, the one thing I don't want to do is get into a situation where one, the growth is so fast that I lose myself. But if I get to a point where I have to sort of be curated in a way, I'm just not in for that. I feel like venture capitalists always have these demeaning ways of describing like non-VC fundable businesses. Like, oh, that's a great lifestyle company. <laughs> like, screw <it's>, uh, <laughs> like, you. Like, no, this is lifestyle company. Like, they have these just unintentionally demeaning ways right. of describing something that's not fundable from their perspective, which is for good reason, understandable, not fundable. Nobody's like getting in a tough time. But there's still value in it. There's still value, right. Just because you're not cracking unicorn status doesn't mean you're not giving jobs to dozens and dozens of, of people who otherwise may not have jobs or may not have jobs that they enjoy, right? It's the same when they talk about small town life and they go, oh, that's a really quaint lifestyle. That's a simple lifestyle. That's right. You know, some people like that. Some people like that. I know I've done this in my life. I went from big city back to small suburb purposely because I found I like the simplicity of the town. You lose stuff. It's like Joni Mitchell, one of my favorite artists of all time. Something's lost when something's gained. That quote, that song, something's lost when something's gained when living life every day. That's true. Coming back full, full circle to Bill, first thing I asked you is how much of your personality you bring to work. And it's not the whole thing, right. but you said you bring a lot of yourself. When you're a CEO, if you're the operator, is it easier to do that? Can you at least see what employees wrestle with in terms of even a bill when he's trying to figure out what he should or shouldn't bring? It's totally fair. I mean, if you're an employee, particularly a new hire, you're just trying to figure out where to plug in. I'd say both plug in to be transactional, productive, and then plug in to be social. But the transactional plug in may be a little easier because you have some 20 plus Slack or team channels, you can say, hey, you know, it's analytics. Uh, I go in there or it's what, but you don't have, <laughs> hey, who's into like comic books? Or Dio. Or Dio. Or, yeah. Who's, in, who's into like funky kicks, you know, shoes or like watches, karaoke. You need to overhear conversation to get those social interests unless you're matching with them on a professional networking platform, which none of those have worked so far. And for me, top down or anyone in a, a more senior executive operational role, I would argue it's easier up to a point, right? At some point, you also reach a size of organization where then you too are curating, albeit for different reasons, but you're curating and you're cutting. Yeah, you said that. There's a lot to risk there if you say the wrong thing. I remember being in that space too, where it's, man, I have to censor so much of myself because I was just fearful of losing my job all the time. Maybe that's a personality quirk. I know as an employee, no matter how good I was, I was just constantly afraid because you don't have control. So for me, it was always kind of like, man, I know what the game is here. I know there's humans here. I know not everyone's bad. I don't think there's a Monopoly character guy who's running the whole show with strings and a puppeteer. I just know the mechanism of capitalism and the business itself is functioning. And a lot of times it doesn't take into account authentic self. One of the reasons why I made the leap to going out on my own was because I really did want to bring part of myself to my business model and my art. And I just couldn't find it in the corporate space. Maybe my forecast is a little bit dark, but I don't think Bill is either going to be able to bring his true self without stepping on people's toes. Clearly, he has a personality that's a little bit clumsy, or he's just going to have to go back to doing what he does is showing up, writing the copy, 
and opting out. Do you think there's a middle ground? I think it's admirable that, you know, Bill is trying it under his <laughs> scenario. It seems like, his, again, his company is like maybe a, a bigger, if not Fortune 500, it's called Fortune 1000 companies, mm-hmm. a lot of employees. And that's what makes it a challenge. And he's meeting once a quarter physically with human beings. And so I think it's admirable he's trying. Yeah, it, it may be he needs to downsize. And in this case, it doesn't mean, you know, move home to a smaller home. In this case, like downsize the company you're working at, find something that's a little smaller where relationships amongst a, a smaller set of peers are attainable because it's just smaller. And I think even in a remote capacity, that does translate because you have less folks. And as a result of having less folks you're interacting, collaborating with, you actually have a little more time to mine some of the relationships. There'll be less focus on transactions. So that could be the option for him. Yeah. Downsize. So go to a smaller company. Yeah. Yeah. Bill, I think, listen, find a company that prioritizes karaoke 80s metal and Dio <laughs> and awkward conversations. I think Bill's good. Hey, you made it. Thanks for tuning into The Lonely Office. If you like what you heard, follow us on all major podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode and make sure and tap five stars and leave a review. I know everyone says it, but it actually helps others like you discover the show. Remember, the topics you hear us talk about on the show are sourced from Glassdoor communities where professionals are having candid conversations about their careers anonymously with others in their industry. To be part of that conversation, download the Glassdoor app. And when you're in the app, make sure and join the Lonely Office Bowl. That's where we are. When you're there, you can suggest a topic idea or an episode idea, or you can make it more formal and email us at thelonelyoffice at glassdoor.com. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.